live in a hood, living in a fishbowl. Gentrify here, now it's not a shithole. Trendsetter, I know my shit's cold. Hands set up because I ain't so bold. But yeah, all you black folks, you must go. for this topic and I don't think we could have chosen a better song honestly hell yeah Tribe Called Quest speaking some real shit though you know so many black people live in these fishbowls but don't necessarily realize how they got there I've been in our red line districts all my life it took me until I was older to really grasp just the complexity of so called good and bad neighborhoods Chicago is the most segregated city in the US and you can see the disparities from a simple train ride I can take y'all out south right now on 79, and before you even see a single person, you'll already know you're in a predominantly black neighborhood. You know, it's littered with vacant lots, liquor stores, churches, corner stores, fast food joints, you know, gas stations ran by foreign people that have no connection to the community whatsoever. We can hop on the red line, and there's so much irony in that name. Travel up north, get off on Fullerton and Lincoln Park, and you'll see sculptures on the street, you know, art museums, fine dining, fresh markets, walk a few blocks to the east and it's a fucking zoo. It's like you already know this community is majority white. So before we touch on the political jargon with this, let me just tell y'all the difference and the only difference between 79th and Fullerton is black and white. That's a very important connection that you've made. I think I can even say that about New York. The red line, yeah. which is um, the one, two, and three train, I think. And okay. that specific train line goes through the Bronx um, and, like, the, you know, some of the worst parts of, like, you know, I guess, Manhattan and into Brooklyn. And then mm-hmm. when you get off of that and get into the green line, you probably go into the more affluent, um, affluent neighborhoods of Brooklyn. So I could be reaching, but, you know, that will be a funny coincidence, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, and that's because black people have always been coined as the pariahs that white people refuse to cohabitate with. You know, there's this notion that we're maniacal people. And these prejudice ideas paved the way to create the great and public policy. So we're talking about red line today. That was birthed during the Jim Crow era of the 30s. You know, in a nutshell, our government and outside agencies basically took markers and drew all over city maps to outline areas that big business banks, you know, other funding programs should avoid because they considered these places, quote unquote, high risk. But really, these areas just contain black people. Yeah, high risk means black. A high risk means black, you know, that's those political terms. Just a single black family would be sufficient enough to blackball these communities. So our government, you know, white people, you know, they blocked black people from mainstream arteries of commerce and capital. They created these financial vacuum systems in our black communities. And when you suck people dry with no viable means to replenish, you know, you hoard them into small areas where you refuse to reinforce and rebuild the infrastructure, you create what we now know as the hood, you know, ghettos. And this is how these fishbowls that many of us have lived in, and maybe some of us still live there. That's how they were engineered. And then came the projects. You know, after the Great Depression, the Federal Housing Administration created the projects. And the efforts of that program was primarily to provide housing for white middle-class people. 
and African Americans and you know and other people of color were left out of that deal and pushed into what we now know as the housing projects. So redlined the shit out of you know neighborhood occupied by blacks. And it was literally established to create for segregation. It was this yeah. its sole purpose was to push black people away from white people and to ensure that black people, African Americans, would not be able to insure mortgages or purchase homes and prop and other properties. They're blackballing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they created something called um, the underwriting manual of um, a federal housing administration. And that right um that that manual stated verbatim and I quote Incompatible racial groups should not be permitted to live in the same communities as whites. Crazy. This was pretty much a law. So just in case yeah. people are wondering, you know, well, why black people stand on the projects? You know, it's not like they choose to stay in those areas. They were nah. pushed into those areas on purpose to be kept away from from whites. You know, and they were literally the government allowed people to build highways. Like highways was a good way to separate whites from blacks build walls and all kinds of things. No, it's funny that you talk about the walls, though, because I remember reading about the uh, white family that tried to get a bank loan on their house, you know, and the bank denied them because they lived too close to a black family. So they built a six-foot-tall wall around their property, and their loan was approved. And you see that? It's like, you know, the racism is so deeply rooted that they go to the extent of depriving people of basic you know, rights, like the right to live comfortably. And like, how do they make these decisions? And like Candace said, anywhere where African-American lived were colored red to indicate to appraisers that these neighborhoods were too risky to insure mortgages. Yeah. And the sad thing is at one point, black people were able to afford these homes in those suburbs, mm-hmm. you know, but they were kept out of that deal. Yeah. It was always readily made available to whites and not blacks. And then after it became a little conspicuous, you know, they, they, you know, the government thought, you know what, let's throw them a bone. Let's create the Fair Housing Act. So in 1968, the Fair Housing Act is created. So this act pretty much says, okay, African-Americans, now you can buy homes in these suburbs. But of course, that's an empty promise. It's disingenuous. It's not honest. Because these homes are no longer affordable to these families that could have afforded them back in the days when whites were yeah. buying into these suburbs, you know? So, like I said, it's by design. Black people did not choose to be poor. Anytime no. they tried to acquire any type, of, uh, any type of wealth, they were shut down. Right, and just for context, we're talking about the 30s to 60s, you know, when this shit was legal on paper. But we also have to understand that redlining didn't end there. You know, just last year, Alpine Bank was forced to settle for their redlining practices in Rockford, Illinois. You know, that's just north of me a couple hours because they were blatantly refusing loans to black people and, you know, people that had properties in black neighborhoods. Just March this year, you know, Pennsylvania State Treasurer and Attorney General, they were both forced you know, to do investigations into mortgage redlining in Philly because an outside agency found that white people received loans at a ratio of 10 to 1 when compared to black people with similar financial profiles. Similar financial profile. Yeah. And it's 2018 and we're talking about this shit. So if you can't own a home, right, or if you refuse the loan for quote-unquote good neighborhoods that have a stable increase in property values, 
you're forced back into that vacuum system that I speak of. And redlining doesn't just go far as like, you know, just homes. Even in dealerships, you will go and a black person will be sold a car at a higher price than what it's listed for. So it's things like that that you have to pay attention to. Subtle shit, yep. After years of white people being given the opportunities to purchase homes and properties, they were able to accrue a great amount of wealth. You know, white people were able to send their children to college, are able to send their children to college with their home equities. They're able to take care of their parents in old age and not have to depend on their children. You know, they're able to pass wealth to their children. None of those advantages were passed on to African-Americans. A lot of African-Americans live in the same project for 25, 30 years and are not able to send their kids to prestigious schools and their children don't have access to quality education. And, you know, kids working two or three jobs, to, you know, to make ends meet because that generational, um, generational wealth, you know, was not created from the get-go. And, it, you know, it wasn't their fault. Right. Yeah, and then even when your neighborhood starts changing, you know, black people, unfortunately, you have to remain vigilant when these changes take place. Like when your hoods begin to mimic the suburbs because there's so many underlying issues that causing that change. Yeah, like gentrification, you know. In Negro terms, that's when there is an increase of availability of kale on a menu. <laughs> when there is a mm-hmm. new Starbucks, you know what I'm saying, being yeah. built within a quarter mile away from you. The whole or like in, Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my homeboy too, he from LA, and he was uh, telling me that Crenshaw, you know, they're building a new stadium right in the middle of the hood. Like, I'm <laughs> like, damn, like that's crazy. And uh, gentrification, when it's happening, we find ourselves with crazy-ass rent increases, you know, yep. evictions. I mean, we even have grandma who've been on the block for, like, you know, since the 50s. Generations after generations have lived in this house. You know, here's a knock at the door. Here come a well-dressed white man, you know, a smooth-talking criminal, offer grandma this great deal. Hopefully, grandma is knowledgeable enough not to buckle down. You know what I'm saying? But this man come back three, four times, increasing mm-hmm. the deal each time, making it sound... Pressure. Exactly, making it sound all good and shit. You know what I'm saying? Then boom, all of a sudden, property taxes go sky rocket high. Now grandma is forced to move because she can no longer afford it. You know, like there is real policies set in place, as Candace explained earlier. Like this shit is not just organically happening. It's literally by design. Yeah, you know, and it's disheartening. You know what I'm saying? This issue is is really disheartening being a black person, but I just want people to realize we do not belong in subpar living conditions. You know, understand that black bodies have always been a source of capital, but we've been systematically blocked every fucking way, you know, in countless ways from controlling and obtaining capital ourselves. Yeah. And as you know, just to like, just to piggyback off what Tiffany said about gentrification, like, it's not like white people ain't, you know, white people do anything out of moral obligation. They don't come into black neighborhoods to, you know, make it better. Right. They come there to create more opportunities for themselves, which leaves black people displaced. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's so important. Like, I'm very big on black people themselves, not white people, because, I, like I said, I don't, I don't expect them to understand shit. I don't expect them to get it. But I'm so big on black people understanding the plight of black people. We have to get in the habit of not making those empty, idiotic statements about oppression being a choice. Yeah. You know, and I'm not a socioeconomist, 
I just have basic common knowledge. That's all you need. You know, the whole pull yourself from the bootstraps rhetoric is like, it's so silly. And it's, it's, you know, like I get tired of hearing it. Black people do not have bootstraps to pull themselves up by. Then you hear the, we need to stop blaming white people for our social issues. Um, they are responsible for it. You know, we're calling it what it is. It's like, you know, me looking outside and I see the rain and I'm like, oh, it's raining. And somebody says, stop complaining about the rain. I'm not complaining. I'm telling you that it's raining because it is. Right. It is what it is. You know is. what I'm saying? It is what it is. You know, well, we know that black people, you know, we know that white people have done this. What do we do now? We do nothing. It's all about being aware that this system does exist, that, you know, systemic racism is a real thing. You know, so stop expecting black people to undo the shit that they did not create. And I love to quote people, and I think Tupac said it best. And this is like the, this is like straight, you know, to the point. And he said that we were given this world, we didn't make it. Black people were given these conditions, they didn't create it. And that's it. Hell yeah. So, you know, like Chrissy said, we have to be keen when it comes to comprehending our circumstances, you know, from the past to the future. We have to understand that, y'all. We got to understand that there are root issues that need to be addressed because we can't just chop at the branches. You know, yes, white people have dealt with capitalism, too. But, but, and a big ass but, with the help of our government, Black people are the only people, and you can quote me on this, in America that have ever had to deal with unfiltered capitalism. And this is an issue, you know, of hate-fueling administration. It's reflective in many issues that we deal with today. And this issue is a white issue. Yep. And just so you know, lastly, Candace, I think we said this in episode one, too. Yes, white people have had to deal with, you know, capitalism, but whites are not poor because of racism it's because of classism gotta understand those differences y'all that's all we want you to do fuck the police coming straight from the underground a young nigga got it bad cause I'm brown and not the other color so police think they have the authority to kill a minority fuck that shit cause I ain't the one for a punk motherfucker with a badge and a gun to be beaten on and thrown in jail we can go toe to toe in the middle of a I mean, shit, it is fuck 12. On one hand, we have police forces across America using fear as an alibi to get away with inhumanely murdering unarmed black men, women, and children. They do that shit for sport. And then you have a community of black people that have this great distrust for police officers. This shit is substantiated. You know, there's this long track record of murdering us and getting away with it. So in these streets, black people are notoriously known for their lack of cooperation with law enforcement. Our fucking neighborhoods are over-policed and underrepresented by the force, and we treat it like fucking animals. Fuck them. Right. It, it, you know what I'm saying? And we have every fucking right to feel that way. Because yeah. look how the police treat us. You know, we see the countless times that they get away with murdering us. Every we week. see the fucking images, and they're graphic as fuck, you know? This has been happening, and it's not going to stop. Nope. Like, these motherfuckers is trained this way. Like, a police chief in Kentucky was caught telling recruits, and I quote, fuck the right thing. If they're black, shoot them. 
There are more like him, period. You know what I'm saying? These motherfuckers joined the police force literally to get away with their hate. The police uniforms held a whole fucking police force. It's the KKK at night. In the daytime, too. Yep. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That ass. (laughs) Like, you know, these motherfuckers have the protection to do as they please. At the police academy, their fucking practice shooting targets are black people. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Man, like, so if a nigga don't hate their own before the police force... They are subconsciously trained to do so. You know, as shorties, we have always been fucking trained to hate 12 because we know that they were, they were never for us. So it's always, you know, they never fucked with us. The police is the modern day slave patrol. Like Tiffany said, the KKK. Um, I don't know if people know this, but when black police officers were hired for the first time in Atlanta, they weren't allowed to carry guns. They weren't allowed to drive patrol cars or arrest whites, patrol um, white neighborhoods. They were not allowed to do that. They weren't allowed to carry guns. It's like their sole purpose was just to antagonize black people. And I think... Pit bulls. Yeah, they're like uh, the overseers. Mm -hmm. And that's what they do today. And I know a lot of people don't agree with me on this, but I always say, like, I don't understand the purpose of a black person becoming a police officer. At all. There's no, there's not, there's not any change that they can really make. They're not allowed to make changes. And sometimes when a black police officer is out of his uniform, a white man will shoot his ass. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it said, it that says a lot. lot. You know what I'm saying? So police and racism is, you know, one and the same. And it's not hard to understand why black youth, black men are not cooperative with police. It's for obvious reasons. White cops kill black people and get away with it because it's legal. It has nothing to do with fear. They're not afraid of black people. They know it's legal. Therefore, they do it. You know, it was, legal, it was legal then and it's legal now. You have to pay attention that there are only white police officers patrolling predominantly black areas. There are no black cops in, you know, in affluent white neighborhoods. And that's problematic. That causes that tension. So we know that white cops are the antagonists. Yeah. And it's not to say that, you know, black people sometimes don't wreak havoc. But even when they're not wreaking havoc, they're constantly being harassed by white police officers. It's not the most shocking thing for a black man to take flight when he sees a, um, a police officer, even when he's completely innocent. He's afraid to get killed. We talk about fear all the time. The cops are not afraid of blacks. It's black people who are afraid of cops, and they have every reason to be. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> and then we're talking about, you know, white police officers, but I'm going to be real with y'all. I don't get no fucking warm and fuzzy feeling when I see black officers either. Nope. You know, just from personal experience, I find that many black officers on the force, they put on their blue uniforms and they put that shit before their own race. Yep. Like they mm-hmm. put that shit before their own yep. common sense. They're they don't overseers. give a fuck. They oversee. Yeah, absolutely. They, they work for the so, wrong side of the system. <laughs> you know, willingly, you mm-hmm. know, and you see this unwritten, quote unquote, blue code come into play firsthand when dealing with black people who are police officers. You know, when a person puts their integrity and humanity on a back burner to assimilate into racist law forces, you know, blue lives becomes a real thing to these niggas. So you see black officers either sitting idle, you know, turning a blind eye while witnessing injustice to their own people or becoming willing participants, you know, trying to set an example. And they committing crimes against their own people just to appease their handlers. Like you said, the niggas are overseers. And many black officers do not value black lives. Nope. These niggas out here acting like they disgusted by the sight of black people. You know, they stuck in this fairy tale of being better than or different from the mm-hmm. niggas on the street. You niggas are the same. 
And let yep. me tell you that shit. You the same motherfuckers that we are. You know goddamn different. Mm-hmm. You know, but this was all black ass too. Right. Out of that fuck. They don't uniform. give a fuck. And the crazy thing is, this results in black men being slaughtered by law enforcement damn near three times more than any other race. And we're supposed to be minorities. So right. this shit, you know, when we talk about police officers, I can't help but being angry. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. there's a lot of black people who talk about, oh, well, I'm trying to make a difference. You cannot make a difference with your mouth closed. And when you open your mouth, there are countless examples of how you will no longer have that platform. So what are you doing in that uniform? Yeah, but there's no other way to say it. You know, the, you know, to me, black police officers are the Jesse Jacksons of the world. Yeah, They're they fucking talk shit. They ain't doing shit. A lot of them. At the end of the day... Police officers have a job to do. We all know that. Nobody's stupid. You know, but contrary to popular belief, that job is not to serve and protect people. It's to uphold the law by any means necessary. So when you read about the murders of Ayanna Jones, Laquan McDonald, you know, Diana Showman, Sandra Bland, Corinne Gaines, this, I mean, the list goes on and on, on Michael and on Brown, and on. on and on and on. You know, we are not reading about justice being served. We are not reading about police officers protecting fucking people or victims. These are these people that I'm listing. These are the fucking victims. They're innocent Mm -hmm. victims who will never receive justice. You know, people whose murders that are protected by the law. And at some point as a black person, you got to stop playing with fire because you get tired of being burned. So I cannot blame a single person with the sentiments of Fuck 12. And it's always going to be fuck 12 for me. That's just how I feel. I don't give a fuck. Fuck y'all. <laughs> Ain't nothing but against the party. Oh, shit. You done fucked up, man. You done put two of America's most wanted in the same motherfucking place at the same motherfucking time. <laughs> y'all niggas about to feel this. Break out the champagne glasses and the motherfucking condoms. Have one on us, alright? Picture perfect. I paint a perfect picture. Ball of hoochers with precision. My tits took you with you with that and double OP. Dog, my fucking homie, use a cold ass nigga on them all. Show enough. I keep my hand on my gun, cause they got me on the run. Now I'm back in the coat room, waiting on the outcome. Three, two pockets, all this on the niggas. I, I always loved that song, yo. I used to be 12 years old listening to that shit. Like, I was really a thug, man. Yeah, I was a thug. My, this song is actually the complete opposite of my life. I had a really, really <laughs> good, comfortable life, you know? I mm-hmm. grew up in Manhattan, um, lived there for a while, in a nice area of Manhattan. I went to a private school, you know, I went to a nice neighborhood, went to the movies on weekends, I went swimming. I used to spend a lot of time at um, Columbia University Library. I went swimming at Teachers College, which was um, where my parents worked at. On weekends, I rode my bike with my road dog, Tanisha. Shout out to Tanisha. And I skated in Central Park. I mean, my life was chill until I turned 12 or 13 and I started embracing that life of crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know how it feels, you know. <clears throat> I had a pretty good life, too, but shit, I almost did a bit upstate, you know. <laughs> I remember being about... 12, 13, about the same age as you fell off the horse, you know. I remember stealing Tommy Hilfiger, you know, <laughs> while wearing Tommy Hilfiger because I was a fucking thug, you know. I'm Tommy Hilfiger was, was a brand I, for thugs. Yeah, yeah. So I'm stealing the shit, you know. I'm wearing the shit. I got a pocket full of money. 
But I was with my gang, you know, and I was in this gang called My Side. You know, we ran up in that <laughs> bitch. You know, we got our fits. I think we made it to, like, the perfume section before the goddamn security ran after us. <laughs> but it didn't even fucking matter, though. You know what I'm saying? Because when you live this thug life, you live by a cold. Facts. And, and none of us was fucking snitching, though. You know, we was true to the gang. So we just acted like we didn't know where them extra Tommy sets come from. <laughs> like, what you fucking talking about, B? <laughs> But you know, well, y'all was bad as hell. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, you know what I'm saying. You got to do what you got to do, Tiff. You know, that's what we had to do. I'm saying. Like, I swear, cause I mean, I've been, I've been a fucking thug all my life, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I can I hear swear. it in your chest when you talk. You know what I'm saying. You Say got that thug tone. Shit. Yeah, thug life, thug life, nigga. No, yeah. I, but <laughs> I low key did a bed for all the fucked up shit I did, dog. Y'all, I ain't even gonna lie. Oh I man, how long was you down, Tiff? Man, I did about 12 of them things. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I swear, I've been on probation. Well, I was on probation. I started at the fucking age of 12 and shit, dog. I, like I said, I've been a thug. This shit ain't new to me. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, know. <laughs> you ain't new to this life. You true to this life. I feel I'm you. I'm true to this shit. So, you... you <laughs> it's shit funny. So, y'all remember when the Valentine Forces first ever fucking had hit... The streets, you know, with the little heart on the side and shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Them bitches was fresh. So me and my homegirl, Brianna... We had went to the mall, like, we had copped them forces or whatever. So, we had wanted some brand new fucking shirts to match. You know, we wanted to be fly girls and shit <laughs> like that. <laughs> what make it so fucked up, her grandma worked at JCPenney. So, we went to go be slick and have a conversation with her while I was in the back still shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking JC Everybody got caught planned. there. I swear we had this shit all planned. Boy, no fucking security came and grabbed us as soon as we was walking out the door. That was the most embarrassing shit ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, being a thug, you, you go down, but you we get up. Yeah. You know? I yeah. went down for real because the motherfucker took me to the back and called my mama. Boy, she oh, came to that man. bitch and whooped my ass in the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, you know, the you know, my first robbery experience too. I was <laughs> I was still in a Target and Coles. And um like we sitting there, we putting shit in our bags, you know what I'm saying? We got our little shades on. Um, we got our shades from Payless. But uh, anyway, yeah, exercise. I remember Payless. <laughs> but yeah, they you know, I see, you know, you see these guys coming up to us and they like, you know, they like come with us to the back. Man, I started crying. I'm like, yo, this life is not for me. Oh my god. You know, they they, they 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 took us to the back, like we need your IDs, we calling the police, and I'm starting thinking, like, damn, if I go to the, if I go to jail, like I'm gonna have to have cornrows in my hair. You know, I just started thinking about mad shit. Orange is the new black. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah, you can't be crying though, Chrissy. What the fuck? We pulled the heist at uh codes too. You know, you put a heist pop me off. Yeah, but see, I ain't shared no tears, you know. I needed my fucking reparations. Nah, I was, I was getting that shit early. <laughs> While we was fucking young, still in the shit, y'all, I gotta tell my drug story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> tell the story, fake ass Nino Brown. Real thug, man. <laughs> I was Nino a real thug. Brown. I was, listen, I I swear I thought I was Nino. My first little time I saw crack. <laughs> Yo, That's y'all so think Tiffany laughing. Tiffany really sold crack one day. Like, she thought she was in New Jack crack. City. I you a part of the so, goddamn problem. <laughs> a part of the fucking problem. But I felt bad after the shit, so I ain't never want to do it again. But my mom worked at this place called God's Kitchen. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. You sold crack in front of the Lord? Oh, my gosh. You terrible. I, listen, thug life, you don't, it don't matter where you do the shit at. It just got to happen. 
So it was <laughs> it was this man or whatever. He was in there and uh, he was getting some food because it was during the time we served the homeless and shit. So he was looking for some work, which is translation for crack. <laughs> and uh, I told the nigga to meet me in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I made me a quick little 20 off that little sack. What was funny? That I is felt hilarious. Shit, I can believe you sold crack, is. yo. How you In only sell of- crack one time, though? You <laughs> have like one crack rock? Like, how do you have one rock? I have one crack. Fake ass Blue Hill me. Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Like, who gets one rock? Come on, what just you need a key? Nah, just give me a rock. Nah, I ain't never sell no drugs, but I remember my big brother tried to sell weed. <laughs> <laughs> I used to smoke his product, though. I used to be listening to that <laughs> fucking product. G Wally Wally, G Bang Bang. Feeling fucking fantastic listening to that shit. High as fuck. <laughs> I, didn't, I swear, I think we are. I didn't smoke no weed. I just, um, well, me and my road dog, yeah. <laughs> we smoke um like old ass cigarette butts in the staircase. Oh <laughs> we were twelve God. years old. We thought we was getting high off them shits. We was, we was fake getting That's high. Crazy. That shit's hilarious. Fake getting high off cigarettes and shit. <laughs> yeah, I think my life of crime was more so stealing and shit. Damn. So I'm the only one with a robbery story. Yeah. Rob. Yeah, I ain't never robbed nobody. <laughs> I just got my reparations. Like I said, I ain't robbed. God nobody. damn. So this during the time I was, you know, a real thug. I was in the gang and shit. It was called Slogan Av. But them hoes, <laughs> I had to leave that ass. I went to East Av. I was hood hopping and shit. <laughs> you ain't loyal, see? Boy, I wasn't loyal. loyal at all. No. But after I went to East Av, though, there was my niggas, though. Like, it, it is what it is. But no, I don't. So on some real shit, when I was with the Slogan Av hoes. <laughs> <laughs> now they some hoes. <laughs> now they some hoes and shit. It was this dude. We was over at our friend's house or whatever. So it was this dude that came in and shit. This nigga smelled like fish. I ain't even gonna lie. But he liked me, all right? Or How whatever. did nigga smell like fish, Man, though? this nigga, I swear, walked in this bitch like he, either he was frying some fish or eating some oh, fish. I but thought that you shit like, was okay. trash. Like his pussy smelled <laughs> no, like fish. Yeah. <laughs> it smelled like some pussy fish. Something was wrong pussy with that nigga. <laughs> what you know about pussy? No, you know how you always be having them niggas that come and just be counting their money and shit all the time, you know, with, around a bunch shit, of girls. Yeah. yeah, flashing their money and shit. So every time this nigga spark a conversation, he just gotta keep on showing his money. So I'm like, let me see that. You know what I'm saying? Let me let me count it. So this dumb nigga gave me his water money. So I'm counting this shit. He studied talking or whatever. So I done slid the shit to my home, girl, or whatever. These bitches walked out. They literally left me in a fucking room with this dude while they fucking left with the money. And he, I'm like, he like, where my money at? I'm like, shit, I don't know. It was just right here or whatever. So this nigga fucking walked downstairs. He let me out the door and everything. Boy, we done slid that money and that's <laughs> the fucking... <laughs> The fucking new that's when G Unit's first was popping. Oh, G no, that nigga dropped G Unit. <laughs> that nigga dropped them fucking shoes, boy. He went right to Rivertown Mall and fucking got us some new shoes on that nigga dying, boy. It was the craziest shit ever. That was my first robbery. I really felt like a real thug then. <laughs> yeah, everything about that heist was cool until you got the motherfucking G units. Like, no. <laughs> Those bitches was cracking at the time. <laughs> no. Y'all did that shit all wrong at the end. <laughs> no, nah, you know, this life is rough, you know, when you're a thug. I'm just glad I changed my life, you know. I try to, you know, stay on the right I'm path. I'm still a thug. You still a thug? <laughs> I'm not. I, I be having to be in class and shit. I don't have time. You know, I feel kind of awkward. <laughs> Why? Because, you know, 
in the midst of my thugging, I was a fucking stripper back in the day. Bitch, what? <laughs> but you know, the stripper life chose me. I didn't choose it. You know, <laughs> I had to get my turquoise zebra fur bikini. You know, my little shiny platform heels. How did you become a stripper? My fucking we, I did not know you was ever a stripper. Well, yeah, nigga. I never told nobody. My mama didn't know, but now she fucking know. <laughs> you know. You gotta tell this fucking story. What was you doing, man? Well, I had just turned 18 and, you know, I got this calling. You know how you like hear you voices? <laughs> you Shut the calling, fuck up. Man. This happened to, this is my story. Let me tell my story. <laughs> I got this calling. You know, I was in college at the time. I wanted to put myself through school. Stop I had financial lying, aid and shit. <laughs> I had financial aid and shit, but, you know, that ain't always enough. Sometimes you need a little more. So, you know, my best friend, she like, you know, let's go stripping. I'm like, shit, okay. Didn't fucking matter. So I have my little fur bikini and my little platform heels. And, man, when they played that song, just like candy. A <laughs> bitch thought she was lit. Now, I had all titties, not really no ass. But I walked out that bitch, fake rich. That was the first and last day I stripped, though. You know, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> But when they played that Nelly, it's getting hot in here. I My was God, I wish I would seen that. How much money did you make that night? <laughs> it was a few hundred bucks, which back in what was it? Fucking like two thousand two. I don't know. I felt like I was winning. As much money as we put in this podcast, we need to probably consider stripping. Yeah, I'm about to go find a little bikini and try to stuff one of my titties in that bitch. <laughs> we going tonight. <laughs> yeah, I've already like you know tonight. looked up a few clubs and trying to put in an application. Yeah. Even if I clean the club. <laughs> no, nah, we need to go ahead and pack our bags. You know, this show's been real, my nigga, but we need As to you get can up see, out we've been here. some fake ass thugs in our life. And um No, nah, Tiffany was a real thug. She yeah, was I was so crack. When she told me that shit, I died. I'm like, you She's fake so ass Nino Brown. <laughs> I just still wanna know where you got that single piece of crack from. Like, like who cooks man. one piece of that shit? <laughs> This is your She's crack. So you take yes. this one piece of crack. Here go this little piece. It was somebody who was tired of asking me for some money and made me make my own money and shit. Oh my god. Here go a little piece of crack. Go sell Here, this bitch, shit. Go sell you a crack. Woman now. <laughs> Fuck out my face. <laughs> that is hilarious. Funny. Well, thank you for hanging out with us and hearing all thug life stories. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, we Don't know a lot of you can relate. Y'all can't be snitching though Don't be snitching this shit Anyway y'all Catch us every other Sunday Every other Sunday um, On our dope ass website Goodheadpodcast.com We on Stitcher uh, Google Play iTunes Facebook Instagram Twitter MySpace Quister Mingo SoundCloud <laughs> Blackpeoplemeet.com well, Every um, fucking where, every platform, catch us on it. Like, we lit as fuck. <laughs> we appreciate yeah. y'all fucking with us the way y'all do, though, as I stated. We love y'all for real. We up out of here. Thank no, you for rocking. Y'all gotta with donate head. too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, we shit. going to Africa yes. this summer. Yes. You gotta let them know. Definitely. We all um, going to Africa this summer. We do have, yep, we do have a GoFundMe. So check us out um, at Good Hair Podcast. 
we are we're going to Africa. We're going to an orphanage where black mothers um, have complications at birth or die at birth, so the babies have to go. Um, so we're going. I'm super fucking excited, y'all. Like we love kids. You know what I'm saying? So I cannot yes, wait do. to hold these babies. I can't wait to you know um, give them their their donations and everything else that you guys help us with. So we're gonna go, go live. We're gonna, we gonna make donate. videos. We're gonna make videos. Yes. Like the money. Oh, we're show y'all the receipt. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna take the money and we're literally gonna purchase the goods ourselves, and we're gonna have we're gonna you know personally deliver to the orphanage. So you'll see that everything that we buy will go directly to the children. I'm not a yeah. fan of giving you know charities money because I know that a lot of time the kids don't see it. So we want to see to it that it gets to the kids, and um, we've already surpassed um, surpassed our goal. Um, we passed that shit within 24 hours, but the campaign will remain up, and you guys can continue to donate. And every little bit helps, and. You know, we just thank you for rocking with us. You guys have been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank Hell yeah, you. we halfway through the season one. You know what I'm saying? Almost done with this shit. So we about to pack up. Tiffany, get ready and to head to the motherland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we gotta go. We gotta make our own money for the trip. You know, we're not gonna use our money as full transparency. So I'm about to get these hoes to grease their titties up. And we about <laughs> to go to the strip. Club. Take them titties. To the strip club. <laughs> <laughs> But no, seriously though, right. know, um, this shit costs a lot of money, y'all ready? No, everybody does. <laughs> yeah, we kind of do need to hit the strip club. I already got my backpack. Y'all know I be pre-ready for shit. Yeah, I but you already have your backpack so you can be on some other shit. We <laughs> need to go make some money. I got my ten dollars ready to work independently. <laughs> yeah, we all got to be entrepreneurs in this shit. Facts. <laughs> all right, y'all. Peace. Right. Peace. Bye.